2: What's up, everyone? Welcome back for a brand new edition of Collider Ladies Night. I am pleased to welcome Kat McNamara to the show. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me. For two things. We have Walker Independence, of course. But also, I'm really excited about Fool's Paradise because I was just recently talking to Charlie about making his feature directorial debut. And he was kind of giving me the rundown of how it all happened and some of the advice he
0: got from cool people like Guillermo. And now, like, it's finally time to see the movie. I'm so excited. Charlie is so brilliant. He's, you know, probably... One of, I would say, the top three directors I've ever worked with. Just He's he's just a brilliant storyteller. And he's so creative and so flexible and loves to play. And I think when you're doing something particularly like this film, that's exactly what you need. Based on the trailer, I definitely get that vibe <laughs> from it. I'm definitely going to come back to him, too.
2: But the first thing we do on Ladies' Night is we play with this dice tower.
0: Oh my this God, is, a is that what this is?
2: That's what it is. It is a game I called Dicey Questions. You get okay. three rolls on the tower, and whatever you roll, it's got a question that it corresponds to, and that is where we start, at least. It's so funny, I
0: almost <laughs> brought a new set of dice today just in my pocket, because I just got it in the mail. <laughs> so I'm, I'm a dice goblin. I'm really? Like dice goblin. Oh, yeah. Okay. But um, cool. I'm impressed by that. Um, I think it's in
2: the grass. Okay. The tower is made to oh, look like Jurassic Park, because it is my favorite movie I'm of all time. Turn this oh, please, please do, me. please do. <laughs> Um, these are beautiful. Yeah. Sorry, again, I, Dice Goblin. I I put a lot of work into finding them. <laughs> oh, oh, I see. It didn't eight. come out of the thing.
0: It did. It's an eight. It just didn't come oh, out of the Oh,
2: it's an eight. Okay. Oh, oh, you got a good one to start. Oh, this I? is a big okay, one, though. I call this right. one high-low. Cool. Can you give me one audition high, but then also one audition low, and tell me what you learned from that low that you then
0: applied to future auditions? Yes. Um, audition high. Okay, I've got this one. Um, a long time ago, I'm from Kansas City originally, so when I was first starting out, I would go to Chicago a lot to audition for things, and um, there's an amazing, there's a bunch of amazing theaters up there, and I had auditioned for some plays, one of which Philip Seymour Hoffman was directing, uh, and I had a final callback for it, and so I got to go to Chicago and have a director session with Philip Seymour Hoffman, and just, I, I didn't get the part in the play, nothing nothing ever came of it, but it was one of my favorite sessions I've ever had because I got to just sit there and listen to his thoughts and work on really interesting material with one of the most brilliant dramatic minds we've ever had. That's the coolest thing ever. And I I, I barely even remember a lot of it because it was such a an all-encompassing experience and I just couldn't believe this this great that I got to be listening to. But um he was he was quite the kind, creative, generous mind, and I was so grateful to have had that bit of time with him. Does not surprise me to hear that one bit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then as far as audition low, I think it's sort of a silly one, but um, I'll give it to you anyway. It was actually in one of the sessions for Shadowhunters. Okay. That was before the screen test, one of the final like director producer sessions. Um, you know, we'd been in there and we were working on this material, and I was going in and out of the room and. One of the scenes for the audition was one where you know Clary storms out of the room at the end as she often does, um, in some sort of indignant huff. Um, <laughs> but I was so focused on the material and just committing to it that I turned around and walked straight into the wall. <gasps> Oh, no. Uh, in front of like all of our producers, our director, <laughs> the network, everything. And I just sort of went, well, you know, at least I've put forward my authentic clumsy self and they know what they're getting into. And I still got the part. I'm so just, I guess. I what guess, what yeah. did you do, though? Like, what is the first thing you did after hitting the wall? Uh, the first thing I did was just think, did that did that really happen? Did I just did I just hit the OK, cool. Um <laughs> Uh, I just probably made a silly face or, okay. or did a little step ball change because I tend to try and play things off with physical comedy. Um, I respect that. <laughs> that's how I deal with uh, trauma and awkward things in life. As,
2: as someone who would stand there and think, "I just want to crawl on a ball and die right now," but just basically stand there and be frozen for everybody else, I like your yeah. approach to handling yeah. that better.
0: Just, just turn into the skid. You know, that's how I. That's how I approach life. All right, all right. Um, I respect that. But yeah, I guess I guess what I learned from that is you know it doesn't matter if you fall flat on your face or run into a wall. If you're doing the work, it can still work out in your favor. You're going to get the roll. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right.
2: You got your second roll on the tower. All right. I'll try and do better this time. It's my fault. I lost a piece of sticky tack that keeps the doors open really nicely. It's a one. A one. This is one that I really wanted to get because apparently we're birthday twins. This is called Best Birthday. I want to know the best birthday party you ever had.
0: Ooh. You know, it's it's really silly, but one of the best birthday parties I've ever had. I I love celebrating other people's birthdays, and I love making those days special for the people that I love, but I'm one of those people that when it's a, a party and attention is all mm-hmm. about me, I I don't, it's it's slightly uncomfortable. Um, but. Is that a Scorpio-Sagittarius thing? Do you consider yourself know. Scorpio or Sagittarius? So I am fully a cusp. Okay. And this is, because I'm, you know, we're the day yeah. that can be either. I think I have qualities of both and it serves me very well. Okay. I'm, I'm very much have that fiery, passionate Scorpio-ness. And, uh, you know, if you hurt someone I love, that's not a good thing. Um, but also I'm I'm so much more of a Sagittarius. You know, I love being, going with the flow and seeing where life takes me and, and you know, getting on it. I have this romantic idea of, Buying a plane ticket one day, just getting yeah. on an airplane and having an adventure and then just having a bag packed, you know, oh, and seeing, seeing what happens. Um, just kind of seeing where life takes you. But as far as the best birthday party I've ever had, over the last couple of years, I think I found my sweet spot. I have my favorite bar in L.A. And I just call them up and I say, hey, can I just have a table in this side of the bar? And I just send a text to folks that I know are around. I'm like, hey, I'm going to be at this bar. I'm going to make cookies. There will be ice cream. Come hang out. Come give me a hug. I miss you. Because I'm never here. I'm always off shooting somewhere. the best idea. It's the best because it's so (laughs) Mm low-key. And then it just... It's no up. pressure on anybody. Yeah, and it's been the most amazing thing to figure out which of my friends know each other that I had no idea, or there's a, a couple of friends that have now been dating for like six years that met at one of my birthday parties that didn't know each other at all, and it's been just a really cool kind of demarcation of, because some people I only see this one night hmm. a year because we're always on different corners of the world. And That's it's so nice. really special and chill.
2: Okay, so you go to this bar, you're having a birthday drink. What is mm-hmm. the drink of choice?
0: hmm It depends. This bar in particular has amazing cocktails, so Mm. I usually see whatever's on the menu. But my go-to is usually scotch neat. Oh, wow, okay, yeah. okay. <laughs> if, I'm, if I'm feeling, you know, if it's a bit summery and I'm feeling a bit warm, I usually go for a gin gimlet or uh, just scotch neat.
2: That sounds so adult when I'm like, just give me a glass of Prosecco or <laughs> I'll drink a beer, but only a Hefeweizen. Yeah, only I, Hefeweizen. I drink like an old man, it's <laughs> fine. <laughs> I feel like that's an easier way to be than me who, who only drinks two things and two things alone. <laughs> All right, you got another roll in the tower. Ooh. Last one up. I have one that I'm hoping you roll. What if I roll when a T-Rex comes out? I wish. If I could make that happen, all of my dreams will have come true. Fantastic. No, but it's a seven. It's a seven. Okay. So this is just a really random one that I came up with because this happened to me while I was writing your questions. I'm just calling it spider. And also because this this says a lot about someone. You are home alone. Yeah. You are just sitting around. A gigantic spider appears and is near you. Uh What do you do?
0: Uh, Very quietly, carefully, and calmly, so as not to alarm or disturb the spider, I will get up and find a a cup and a piece of paper, and I will scoop the spider and and take it outside, or throw it on a window, or onto my balcony, (laughs) at least. I know what
2: you mean by throw it out a window, but you just said that so sweetly and kindly. <laughs> just throw it out the window. It doesn't
0: kill it. It's a spider. No. I'm sure it'll float down gently on the wind and Spider-Man <laughs> is way down somehow. At least that's my fantasy. makes me
2: so happy because I thought I was one of the only people who do, like, what I, I do the double cup thing. Oh, that's And whenever smart. I tell someone I do that, I'm like, why, why are you going to those lengths to protect a spider when you can smush and trash? I'm like, because it's... It doesn't know what it's doing. It is a living thing. Yeah.
0: And it's just like, you know, it's like ghosts. It's like, you respect your space, I'll respect oh, mine. Oh, you're a ghost we'll, believer. You know, we'll, we'll work it out.
2: Do you believe in ghosts?
0: I do. Okay. Yeah. I like that too. I like yeah. That too.
2: Do you watch the show Ghosts on CBS? I love that show. Actually, I'm I just saw Rose at a Comic
0: Con this weekend and she's <laughs> I literally just human spoke to being. her the other week. She's oh, amazing. My God. She is so lovely. It's, it's, there are certain people you meet in this industry that you're like, how can you guest on how that, are that are you show? Could, can can, you, can I make manifest, that happen? Please? I manifest things on my I would Lady's love night. to guest star on Ghost. <laughs> thank you, please. Someone out there in the universe make that happen. I love that show. I think it's so smart and so funny and in the most self-aware, beautiful way. Yeah. I,
2: I feel like a show shouldn't be able to be both funny and so emotional at the same time, but they're able to turn on a dime like I've never seen before.
0: I know. That's talent. That's, that's human emotion, though, because yeah. humor and... and vulnerability are so closely related. It's fascinating. It
2: is so true. I'm so impressed by them. All right, you have hit the meat of our interview. Every single uh, Ladies Night episode begins here. What was the the movie, the performance you saw, the personal experience you had, you name it, that first made you say to yourself, I absolutely have to be an actor?
0: It was actually an experience I had because growing up, I never knew that being an actor was a job. I wanted to be an economist. That was my dream. I yeah. wanted to go into developmental economics and uh, solve the solve the world's problems of economies in developing countries. Um, but that obviously did not turn out to be. I, I was going to school for it and, and all of that. And I ran into a family friend who was directing a community theater show, needed a dancer. I'd done ballet my whole life and, and was the kid who would try anything. So I said, hey, sure, why not? I'll go and, and do theater for the summer and see what that's like because I have no idea. Um, And I remember walking on stage on opening night and it hit me like a brick wall. You know, in in life we have these moments of clarity and they're few and far between, but there are certain moments where you know something beyond a shadow of a doubt. And that's what happened to me. I walked on stage and I went, oh my gosh, this is what I was put on this earth to do. To tell stories and to create characters and to be a part of whatever this cumulative magic is happening. Oh,
2: I have so many follow-up questions. The first thing I wanted to ask, because I was reading you graduated high school and college very, very early, Mm -hmm. and I feel like sometimes when that happens, and also given your earliest ambitions to get into uh, economics, you could maybe feel forced to go down a particular path rather than pursue the arts. Did you Mm -hmm. ever encounter that, or were the people around you always supportive about it?
0: I actually didn't. I was very, very lucky that my family uh, immediately went well, look, if you're happy, that's wonderful. And, you know, as long as... I don't know that they fully understood it at mm. first. I, My mom is the best the best supporter I've ever had because she's always left it mine. I've seen so many parents in this industry who sort of take over the career or live vicariously or start kind of manipulate it or control it in some way. And my mom has always let it be mine in every way, shape, and form and have complete um, agency in all of this. And I'm so grateful to her for that. But I remember the first few months of doing this, she would keep asking me going... And you're still having fun. Like, you're sure. Like, this is still something you want to keep doing. And and I was. And, you know, they, I think they always wanted me to get a college education, which I did. Um, I actually went to school for business and economics to kind of, for, for a myriad of reasons. But I'm very glad I did. And it's, uh, I, I've been very, very lucky to have that support and to to see them who are all in the science and medical field now what I think they saw as me doing something that I enjoyed until I figured out what I wanted mm-hmm. to do, now they actually see it as a career because they've seen the longevity that, that an, a career in entertainment can have and, oh, well, and sort of so the many nice. different facets it can hold. And it's it's really been wonderful. I'm so grateful to my family.
2: So as, as someone who didn't really know that that could be a career option, and especially with parents who weren't in the know and part of the industry, mm-hmm. when you first decided you wanted to become an actor, what did you think step one to becoming an actor was? And now having done it, would you recommend that as a first step to somebody else or did you find something more effective along the way
0: no I actually would because all I knew is that I loved it and I wanted to keep doing it and I was lucky to be in Kansas City that has a huge beautiful theater community both community theater and regional professional theater and all of these You know, there's tours that come through all the time and there's such a gorgeous arts community there and uh I just kept going and kept finding opportunities and meeting people. And I always I always give my utmost gratitude to the Kansas City theater community because they raised me artistically. And not only did they teach me how to explore and be creative and think outside the box, but how to have work ethic. Because mm-hmm. there's no ego in that kind of community. Everybody does every job. And as long as we get the show up at the end of the day, that's what matters. And do everything we can to make it the best story possible. And, um, you know, so it, it never mattered what job you were doing or what part of production you were. It, it Everyone was valued and everyone's work mattered. And everyone worked hard. And uh, that, you know, that's kind of my biggest takeaway. But just start wherever you're at find those opportunities and, and grow from them. And, and I was really grateful to have had that.
2: So what wound up being the key to bridge the gap from regional uh, community theater, that type of uh, arena to, you know, Hollywood or whatever your first yeah. professional gig was? Well, the first step. Uh, not that, not that was, regional theater isn't professional. No, no, I definitely
0: I know what didn't you mean, mean though. to imply that. No, I know what you mean, though. But um, I it was a chance encounter. Yeah, you know, they brought in actors from New York all the time to play the leads in different shows and bring in audiences. And there was a woman who had come from Broadway and was going straight into a show called A Little Night Music in New York after after we'd worked together. And uh, you know, I get a random phone call one day saying, "Hey, um would you like to come audition for A Little Night Music on the the Broadway revival with Catherine Zeta-Jones and Angela Lansbury? They needed an immediate replacement for the show and this woman had said you need to look at this girl. She's perfect for this part. I loved working with her. And I got a phone call. And a week later, i had never been to New York City before in my entire life. The biggest city I'd been to was Chicago. And uh, I thought, you know what? There's never gonna be another chance in my life that I have to audition for Broadway. And I've never been to New York, so let's just go. And I went to New York, I did the audition, then I did the callback. Trevor Nunn was directing the show, who's just such a prolific theater director. So I got to you know, meet him and work with him in the, in the callback. And then a few hours later, I was at uh, the airport flying home, and they called me and told me that I've booked the part. A week later, I'm living in New York City working on Broadway. Oh, that's incredible. And, you know... Angela Lansbury. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and what's even more astronomical is, you know, I worked with Catherine and Angela for six months. Then they left the show. Bernadette Peters and Elaine Stritch came in to finish out the (laughs) other six months. And going from Kansas City, not even knowing (laughs) that, having never been to New York, moving there, working with these four powerhouse leading ladies for an entire year. It was the biggest dream and the biggest life-altering shock of an experience. But it changed my life. And I'm so grateful to those four ladies who taught me everything. Oh, that is the coolest thing ever. Um,
2: I want to come back to the four of them. But but briefly, so you get your first Broadway gig. Was there ever a situation when you thought, like, like, maybe I'll stay in theater. Maybe I'll stay in Broadway. Or was there always an itch to act for the camera as well?
0: I Again, I had never fully thought about it. I thought when I moved to New York, I'm like, okay, because what I really wanted to do for a living, what I, my first idea of working as an actor would be is um, I'd work at the bank as a financial analyst or a financial advisor until 5 p.m. And then curtain goes up the theater at 8. So I would, I would just in Kansas City because I never thought I'd leave. I was like, oh, well, I'll just work at the bank and then finish up work and go do shows at night, and that's grand. That that would be perfect life. Then I moved to New York, thinking, oh, well, I'll just go do this show for six months and then move back home. And after about a week of living in New York City, I quickly discovered that I was never moving home, yeah. and that New York fully made me one of its own and uh, changed my life forever.
2: Oh wow! All right, I have I have so many screen credits to hit. That is incredible. When you when you shift to screen credits of yeah. all of your earliest TV and film appearances, which would you credit with putting into perspective the most the types of stories you would want to tell going forward and also the types of onset environments you would want to work in?
0: Ooh, um, it, it actually mm, it's interesting because I learned a lot from so many of the jobs that I did. One of the the job that brought me to LA, was um, the first time Disney Channel tried to do High School Musical, the series. And at that time, it was called Madison High. And it was about 13 years ago now. They, you know, they had Miss Darvis went to a different school and created a new drama program. And, of course, it was it was t- the TV version of High School Musical, basically. Um, and all the character archetypes were the same, and it was, you know, but just different different people. And the cast and that experience of going into, you know, Musical boot camp for two weeks, learning all the dance numbers, all the songs, being in the studio, working with everyone, having that kind of camaraderie, and building a show that would have its kind of own image and its own lore was so all-encompassing, but I had the best time. And, you know, I didn't really know at the time, but that ultimately would, would serve me really well going into something like Shadowhunters, which I think is what ultimately answers your question, because that show for me, it had this epic nature to it and a character that was challenging but had growth and a, a cast and crew environment that truly was going to work with family every day and that that is ultimately what I strive for seeking out in the future and and as I continue and it, there's there was a rarefied air on the Shadowhunters set and it was something that I will always be grateful for
2: when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring Such a beautiful thing. Going back to the high school musical show, was that one of those situations where they filmed a pilot and then it didn't get picked up? Yeah. Okay. So I'll I'll lump that in with um the Happy Land mm-hmm. because correct me if I'm wrong, Happyland was your first series regular role. Yeah, that went to
0: series. Yeah, I had done a few pilots. Like I did that pilot, and I did a CBS pilot with Jason Isaacs a few years later, and who I still love and adore. And he played my dad, and still basically might as well be. Um, and you know, so many other other beautiful things. But yeah, that that was the first on screen that lasted.
2: Okay, so when you go when you go through a situation like Happy Land, where yeah. you get a series and then it doesn't get a renewal second season, but also when you do things like because that's a lot of things that uh, that fans aren't really aware of that mm-hmm. you pour your heart and soul into. Making a pilot that just doesn't get picked up and then you know it's it's still a project that meant something to you that you worked on but it's not necessarily added to your imdb so people aren't aware of it when you're just starting out in this in this industry how do you make sure experiences like that don't cause you to lose confidence in yourself (laughs) and take away from the motivation to you know pick yourself up after and forge forward
0: I, i was really lucky at the beginning of when i started doing theater actually um, one of my mentors at the very, very beginning put everything into perspective in the most beautiful way. And she said to me, you know, an actress' job is to audition. And you go into that room for 10 minutes and you tell your story and you create this character and that's your performance. And that's that's your job. You leave the room, you've done your job, you leave it behind. If the job works out, that's something extra different and special. But if not, you've done your job and you move on to the next job. And so I've always, I mean, obviously there are those roles that you just connect with, and and every fiber of your being will fight for that, in, in, and you can't let it go sometimes. And I've had those as well, but those are a lot fewer and farther between than than other things, and that sort of helps in a way. But I think having so many things that, you know, haven't worked out for whatever reason, and, and a lot of times it's no reason other than there just wasn't space on the network this year. And so with the way that television goes, then that's kind of the end for that show and uh it it taught me to kind of invest in things and put my heart into it but know that even if something doesn't work out there's something else that's coming down the pipeline. Yeah. that wasn't meant to be for whatever reason but it it grew you and it led you to whatever's coming next.
2: i'm ruining my timeline here but i want to bring in walker independence right now because yeah. you you're waiting for a potential season 2 renewal. Yes. That is a scary thing to do, no matter the time of year, no matter the situation. Yeah. There's a lot of extra pressure given every decision that's made right now has long-term ramifications on the way this industry operates. Right. Is there any difference in how you're processing the renewal pro- the renewal experience now versus like maybe when you were waiting for it on Shadowhunters? Yeah, you know, when it comes to
0: this year specifically, I, I knew that, you know, with Everything's changing at the CW. Everything's changing in television in general. And there are so many options and opportunities and unorthodox ways in which shows stay, continue, get canceled, get renewed somewhere else entirely. I have become so resigned when it comes to these things. I just leave it up to the television gods. I've gone, you know what? I've put my heart and soul into this show. I've had the best time with this cast and crew. We're all chomping at the bit to keep telling this story. We just, you know, we just hit the tip of the iceberg of what all these relationships can be and, and what this town can be because that's so much of what Walker Independence is, is the spirit of this town, which for us includes our crew and mm-hmm. our writers and everyone else. And so moving forward, it's – I'm hoping for the best, but, you know, ultimately whatever's meant to happen will happen. But, I mean, if I could go back and – be in that playground of a 15,000 acre ranch with the, that amazing yes. group of people again, I, I would give my
2: left foot for it. It is such a beautiful way to look at all that. I know I know that part of this job is probably one of the hardest things because it's something you're passionate about. and You don't have control over certain elements. And <laughs> as someone who is deeply obsessed and passionate about what she does, I always think about that <laughs> and I give you all, all the credit in the world for powering through it. Thank you. I want to go back to Shadowhunters really quickly because- number one on the call sheet for the first time is a, a pretty pretty big deal right there. Yeah. So of all of the past number ones on the call sheet you have worked with, who taught you the most about how you would want to carry yourself when you're kind of setting the tone on a series like that?
0: When it comes to, okay, there's a few. That's it. That's oh, I would happily take more question. than one. Um, I will say that, you know, the four ladies I worked with on Broadway taught me a hell of a lot. Um, they all carried themselves with such grace and poise, and and you know, especially people like Catherine and Bernadette, who have images outside of it, and yet still have to balance the jobs that come outside of work with the job that they're doing for the cast and crew and everything else. Um, and then you know Elaine and Angela, who Elaine was in her nineties and Angela was in her eighties, and they were doing the show and. I always say that's what I want to be when I'm 80, 90 years old. I want to be doing eight shows a week on Broadway wearing a men's shirt and a, you know, (laughs) fisherman's cap. Uh, But, you know, coming back to to film and television, the two that pop into my head instantly are Dylan O'Brien and uh, Jason Isaacs, who, both of which I worked with, you know, I worked with Dylan on Maze Runner. and I good, good, good dude right there. I've known Dylan forever and just... I hadn't worked with him. I'd known him for a lot longer than I'd worked with him. And when I got on that set, I was astounded by how dedicated he was and how diligent he was to making sure that everything was done with quality and it was all done properly, but also he had the best time of anyone on that set. The balance he had between, you know, the, the fun and the silliness and the, the goofing off and the pranks you can do on set and the camaraderie you can build in that way, but with still not sacrificing any of the seriousness of what we're trying to do mm-hmm. and the story we're trying to tell, that was brilliant. And then getting to work with someone like Jason, who was I was 17 when I worked with him, who was so generous and giving and open, having a massive job to do himself, but really played host is kind of the best way I can put it to so many people, including myself, who was pretty new to film and television at the time. Um, So that and that I ultimately also I give huge credit to. Isaiah Mustafa and Harry Shum Jr., who were both on Shadowhunters, who you know Harry had been through with Glee. Some of best. I, I, I truly, I, honestly, I'm so I'm so grateful to the people that I've worked with over the years. But Harry, who'd just been off of Glee and had been through you know one of the hugest experiences you ever could on mm-hmm. television at the time, and Isaiah, who's you know, been in the industry forever and five days and has worked with everyone and is beloved by everyone. Both of both of them are actually beloved by everyone they've ever worked with, and and you can see why. It's not only their professionalism, but their care and their openness and their warmth that they bring to any environment they're on. And, um, you know, I've done my best to to do the same and to kind of carry on all of their legacies in that way. Before
2: I ask my follow up question, I'll just say the Maze Runner series does not get the credit it deserves. It was beloved. A lot of people really were into it, but I feel like it needed to be put on a higher tier and more (laughs) minds in terms of young adult book to film adaptations, because like Wes
0: knocked that out of the he park really did. with what i imagine at least is less than most have. Well, what's interesting about Wes is he had a background in VFX mm-hmm. as i'm sure you know, but this was I he, watched too much of his work on YouTube before that first person yes, came out. It's so true. So that's what it was. Is he had all this work on YouTube that he showed to studios and everybody was chomping at the bit to get him on. And obviously you know, he didn't have the biggest budget for the first film, so he had to do a lot of things himself and, like, really make it work. Um, but what he was able to do with so little and with that cast that was so committed—and those those guys I yeah. love to death. They're just the best community of people. Um, but it it was such a wonderful thing to be able to see. I remember going to the theater to see the first one as I was trying to figure out whether I wanted to do the second one mm-hmm. because there wasn't a script. There wasn't anything. I had the books and the first film that I had to make my decision based on. And, of course, I said yes. I don't blame you. Because the film was so well done and and such an interesting tone for YA film and television at the time that I chomped at the bit to be a part of that.
2: Scorch Trials was one of my earliest set visits. And I feel like all of my earliest set visits have
0: the biggest place in my heart forever and ever and ever. (laughs) Of course. Well, that set was so fun. We all lived in the same hotel and the same hallway on the same floor, and so we just left our doors open. For the two months there. In Albuquerque, New Mexico. Yeah, it's great fun. We gotta love we gotta love New Mexico. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've, I've gotten to really love New Mexico in the last year. <laughs> oh, my, oh, is that where Walker shoots? Yeah, we so, shoot in Santa Fe.
2: So I feel like there was a period of time where literally every set visit I went on was there to the point that I had running routes there because I was there <laughs> so frequently and I knew what I liked to run. Yeah. So I'm gonna go back to my, my Shadowhunters number one on the call sheet question to veer into Walker Independence a little. So you had a lot of great people setting an example for you, Mm -hmm. but what is something new about being the lead of a series that you learned along the way on Shadowhunters that now you find yourself prioritizing
0: and using on Walker? It's it's sort of the same concept. It's finding that balance between work and the community aspect because that's so important especially when you're number one on the call sheet because you're so often when guest stars and new crew members even new directors that are coming in you're their first point of contact and the person they'll see the most and the person that is most kind of around and in front of everyone and to be kind of that person to go hey welcome this is our show do you need anything because also when you're new on a set there's so little you want to ask for, at least for me, whenever I'm, you know, the new person on a set mm-hmm. or like a guest. I, I don't know who to ask, so I don't want to ask the wrong person. And just being able to go, hey, what do you need? And then kind of direct and make sure that everyone's taken care of is such a huge part of it because then everybody has a better day. Everyone's yeah. happy and has water and is, you know, feels comfortable. Then you can play and work and, and everything else kind of disappears. Uh, but, you know, that's I learned how to do that on Shadowhunters just by nature of me being so I loved the book so much. And just every time we got a new person, it was a new character, and I was getting to meet a character that I'd read I and loved, loved. looking at it that way with and an adaptation. It, it was, I remember Jade Hasune, who played um, Meliorn on, on Shadowhunters. He's this Sealy fairy person. He was so perfectly cast. And this was with every single person on our show. But, you know, our casting directors did such a great job of finding people that not only encompassed the book's character, but then had something else that they brought to it that— enriched it and just shifted everything to where it, it made it exciting. And I remember I was walking by Jade. He was sitting there. In, he was half-dressed in his sealy armor for a fitting. And he was reading City of Bones, the first book in the Mortal Instruments series. And I walked by, and we both looked at each other in the same time. He goes, Clary? And I go, uh, 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 Melly, you're playing Melly What's your What's your name? Jade, Jade. And he's like, Oh my God, your name's not Claire. And so we had this like very awkward both fan going over each other. Oh, I get that. But that's kind of the most indicative thing about what makes it exciting is you get to build this world together, um, and that's you know when you're number one, you get to see so many of the things from the ground up yeah. and and build it and uh, bear witness to every aspect, whether it's behind or in front of the camera. Also, coffee. <laughs> um, Do you know what Rose told me
2: when we were talking? What did she, she say? She had given up coffee for a period of time. I'm curious if it still stands and if it's still working for her. But, like, you just see the expression on my face change, basically saying, like, I'm trying to respect you, but I think you're crazy for doing that right now. Yeah.
0: Um, I didn't drink coffee. I got through university. I got through Broadway. I did everything. I never drank coffee. Wow. Until episode five of season one of Shadowhunters. <laughs> What happened on that particular episode? We were shooting this werewolf fight in amongst all these shipping containers, and it just so happened to be spring in Toronto, and there was a thunderstorm. And as you know, on film sets, if there's lightning within a certain number of miles, you mm-hmm. can't shoot for 30 minutes. So we were on a night shoot, and there was lightning. 22 minutes went by, lightning. Lightning. 27 minutes went by lightning. And this kept happening. It's about 11 p.m. when it started. It got to 4 or 5 in the morning, and this was still happening, and we hadn't shot anything. No. We ended up having to cancel the rest of the night and come back to it another day. But I remember about 3 in the morning, I walked up to the craft services table, and I was looking. I'd had all the snacks. I'd had so much Diet Coke, I couldn't I couldn't see straight. And Matt Dario was getting a cup of coffee, and I went, Yep. And I've never looked back.
2: (laughs) That's the moment. That's That's the the moment. moment. (laughs) I have to wind down with you soon. I have two more questions. I do want to talk about Charlie Day because again, uh, Fool's Paradise is going to be his very first feature as a director. So having had that experience with him, what are you looking forward to more actors who work with him as a director to get to experience when he inevitably goes on to direct more features? Yeah, well, it's,
0: it was such a, a lovely experience getting to watch him work. We'd met at The Big Slick, which is a huge uh, Kansas City charity event with you know Paul Rudd and Jason Sudeikis and the rest of the wonderful comedians that are from Kansas City have started this thing and bring in people like Charlie. So, you know, we met and then a few months later he called me up and said, I've got the script, read this part, see if you want to do it. Which is how so many people ended up on this film, was just, hey, I've got a part, come in for a day and play. And that's what I ended up doing and had the best time. And as an actor who wants to direct eventually, well, it like was that. amazing to be able to watch him and to enter a set where the entire crew loved him so much. You could tell that he'd brought in people that he had great working relationships with and had further even more earned his respect as the film continued. Um but what I loved most about working with Charlie is not only is he so smart and so intuitive at building upon what you're bringing to the story and still shifting and giving you something else to kind of elevate it even more and to continue to build what he's, the story he's telling. He's so excited about what you're bringing to the table as well. And so he's not, he's not telling you what to do and changing things and, and giving a correction as some, you know, that can shut actors down sometimes when they feel like they're being, Mm -hmm. you know, told I, I can roll with the punches, but he had created this environment of building together and playing together. And this sort of, camaraderie that continued to build and grow, that he was continually excited by an idea that you brought to the table, which sparked another idea that he had, which gave someone else an idea. And then it was just this constant ping pong of creativity that I can only imagine is what happens on the It's Always Sunny set. But it it was such a lovely environment to to play and create. And that's ultimately what this is supposed to be anyway. So true. Um, But also, he's just a brilliant storyteller. And his sensibility is uncanny and I, I don't know if it's born or bred but it's it's in him and he's fantastic. Knowing
2: all the people that have influenced you and the types of environments you've gotten to work in now I want you to direct even more so you can create <laughs> that for more people. Yeah, that's, I would very much love to do that. I'm ending with a selfish question because clearly I'm very into 90s horror yeah. and there's a certain one on I on your IMDb page that hasn't moved in a little bit. What's up with this uh, Urban Legend remake? Oh man,
0: you know. <laughs> I want that movie. I want that movie too. <laughs> or not a remake. It'd be a continuation it was yeah it was a sort of a new retelling of it was what I can say from the script I love that Colin Minahan was the director of that he's just a brilliant brilliant mind who has gotten to be a good friend um it, you know I would love for that to happen that cast was going to be fantastic a lot of friends on that cast Rebecca Gayhart was supposed to come back right? a lot, a lot of friends I made through that audition process um the role was a role of a lifetime for me it was so fun um but who knows? You know, it's one of those things that the studio is no longer even that company anymore, and it's been moved around, and it's oh, one of industry those. logistics. Okay. Where in my dream world it would happen, but that I booked that job a week before the pandemic. Oh, I'm
2: sorry. So it was, you know, a, a pandemic, it was
0: a COVID, COVID. Uh, um, what's it called? Yeah, casualty. Thank you. Thank you very much. You You never know what can come
2: back. And I know you do horror. Like I know yeah. you work with Nick Simon. Like you can come back and Nick you could Simon do it in my He's heart. wonderful. He's he wonderful. Nick Simon. Riley knows Nick.
0: I beg <laughs> Nick all the time. I'm like, when are we working together again? Let's do another film. I just want you to make more horror movies. You can make whatever you want. I love all your stuff, but <laughs> well, make more horror. What we want to do is untitled horror movie the sequel, because we had so much fun working as a group on Zoom and never <laughs> even we haven't even had the entire cast in one room in person yet. Ever? Ever. And so now we want to make a movie together where we can all be in the same space. That would make me so happy.
2: Yeah. I'm rooting for that. I'm rooting for that. I'm very excited to be here celebrating Walker Independence and also Fool's Paradise, which I believe will be in theaters when everybody watches this episode. In theaters,
0: May 12th. Go see Fool's Paradise. It is brilliant. It's got so many familiar faces doing things you would have never expected them to do. And uh, just the brilliance of Charlie Day.
2: I'm so excited. I'm so excited to see it. Kat, congratulations on everything you accomplished, everything that is coming your way. Keep spreading the joy and good vibes in this industry.
0: We need as much much. of it as we can get. Thank Thank you for having me.
1: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more